Thank you for listening to this podcast hosted by the Cambridge MBA. Crowdsourcing, community building, just two very big trends for the next uh, few decades. And with us today to talk more about this is Heather Leeson, Director of Community Engagement of Ushahidi. Thank you very much for talking to us, Heather. Oh, thanks, for, thanks for having me. I miss the UK. <laughs> <laughs> Heather, first tell us, what is Ushahidi and what was the market need that led to its founding? So Ushahidi is free and open source software. Um, it's used for information collection, data visualization, interactive mapping. So those are, those are some of the ways that Ushahidi can use. So think of it as a map digital storytelling. That's one of our products, or two of our products. And uh, they allow people to connect and aggregate information from online. They can collect text messages. They can collect Twitter or Facebook feeds or even just online or mobile reports and aggregate that to a map and geolocate it, describe it, add categories. So if you think about your Library of Congress or do depending on which world you live in, um, categorization uh, of the data, and then you're able to search it and put it to a map. And you can add rich media content as well to it. So Ushihidi really um, started in 2007, 2008, after post-election violence in Kenya, three bloggers, uh, and uh, one of them who has an MBA, uh, um, Ori Oriol. Uh, she, she is from. She was one of the people who originated Ushihidi, and so they they they, um, they worked with a software developer to create it. Now Ushihidi gets used for election monitoring, crisis response, environmental activism, anti-corruption and transparency work. In addition to uh, reporting of harassment and just a wide, wide range of topics um, that, that, that people want to try and connect with. So think of it as like a sharing hub platform to allow people to connect. So what is the market need? Well, we didn't really start from a market need. A market need would be, you know, there's a gap in the community that be able to connect. So what, um, what Ushahidi allows us do is be able to share that information on a map and to be able to collaborate because basically we want to answer two questions. What do you see? What do you hear? And so what they found was that there was no way or no map project out there. So did we build market needs? I think so. Um, there was no project out there that allowed people to aggregate, geocate, and share information just to answer those two questions. So they created it. Once they created it, they, they thought, well, you know, this is great. And they started to shop around and see if anybody wanted the software. And when no one wanted the software or understood or even wrapped their head around text messaging and adding it to a map, that was such a new concept in 2008. Um, so they built it. They said, okay, let's start a nonprofit and let's build this. And so they built it and then they were able to fill a market need, which is how Ushihidi became um, that space and kind of kind of registers in that space. Um, one of my co-founders, Founder says something really well. We might not be the best software out there that solves this problem, but we solve the problem in a low, lightweight. We, we put function before technology, and we fill the gap, which fills a gap for many people in the world. And so if that fills a market need, I think I, think I answered your question as fully as I possibly could. <laughs> okay. So, so, Heather, am I right to say that your customers are actually the organizations, say, could be NGOs, could be act, uh, uh, public organizations, etc.? Actually, our customers, are such an, our customers are really wide range. So we can come everything from formal governments like the UN or the World Bank to NGOs such as World Vision or, or, or things in those formal kind of realms or, or associations of progressive communication 
communicators, which did a map last year called Take Back the Tech. Actually, they've done it twice uh, now, two years in a row. To um, smaller NGOs, to uh, Transparency International uh, chapters creating maps for anti-corruption. But the thing that's really exciting are the individuals, because you can create a mapping project if you spend the time and you try and bridge the difference between online and offline and match it and build all the plan and use your power of the internet and power of outreach. You could potentially be an individual or an ad hoc group of volunteers to create the map. And that's really one of the major groups and customers of Ushibiti. We're talking about these, um, these early starters, these unusual suspects who are using the power of the internet to be able to connect themselves to a topic that matters to them. And so that's that's pretty powerful when you think about it because if we are trying to connect people to change and people feel like they have the power to do that and that they figure that space out for themselves because they have the local knowledge or the topical knowledge, that's pretty powerful because sometimes NGOs might be constrained by policies or, or um, funding. But if you have the power of the crowd and that, that's a whole other, other um, thing that's hard for people to factor, that where are these maps coming from? And so who are these powerful people who are just doing great things? And so some of these, some of these map projects have become NGOs. They become little nonprofits. So they're like, I almost think that we're a little bit of an incubation zone because we're finding these people who, 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 who are reaching out to Shihidi and saying, hey, I want to get involved in the world and I have some really strong skills. And so they become a landing, um, a launch pad for them. And that's pretty exciting to meet these early starters and to watch, like, over the last three years, I've watched these people rise up and get hired by NGOs or start companies or do things. And so that's really kind of cool in terms of market. Like, I had no, I had no real understanding that, that, that I'd be finding these early starters, right? These early risers and being able to mentor them. That's pretty fun. Okay. Heather, I guess you, you've mentioned basically two things. One is the um, uh, needs for Ushahidi, where it's uh, maybe a big public organization, etc. And then the other one, which is the incubator. Let me just uh, focus on the first uh, group first. Um, in what scenarios, I mean, you mentioned Haiti, you mentioned Kenya. In what scenarios is have you found that Ushahidi is most effective? Uh, is it better than relying on mainstream media or something like Twitter? Um, I'm just going to use, so, so as I mentioned, it's election monitoring, anti-corruption, crisis response, and environmental work. Those are our kind of top four examples, if you were to kind of drill it down. There's many others, but I'm just going to focus on the four. Um, so I think sometimes Ushihidi can be used in concert with mainstream media, but Ushihidi's roots started from the fact that mainstream media was not reporting. And so they decided that let's let's get let's get our community of communities working together to be able to share their stories. So in some ways, um, it's good to work in parallel and to pick out that low hanging fruit. So if I was to focus on crisis response, and so I work as a crisis mapper volunteering with something called the Standby Task Force and the Crisis Mappers Network. There are people of unofficial ad hoc groups out there that are organizing around how do we use maps for good, right? And so for crisis mappers. Um, I feel that a map should not ever replace a traditional responder. We're there to support and augment and help, but we're not there to, I, I will never be that person in the field who's part of a SARS team going into Haiti, like Kisley Olipson, right, who is a brilliant um, responder and emergency manager. I will never be that person, but as a mapper, I might be able to provide him with data 
and information that will help him. In, in, um, in New Zealand, after the earthquake, what they did focus on the MAP project for, for Christ Church, what they focused on was people helping people, what pharmacies are open, what gas stations are open, the basic questions that people need to answer that emergency responders need to not, that don't need to focus on. So can that help mainstream media and work in parallel? Absolutely. If I was to give you an example of a map um, that, that was in concert with Al Jazeera, uh, it's called Somalia Speaks. And so they worked on a campaign with civil society groups in Somalia to rise up and to say, what have people, how has this last few months of, of, of crisis affected people? And so it was more a sentiment map. And so where would you get 30 responses from 30 people who live in Somalia and be translated on a map? Like that, that, what they're doing is they're trying to level the field and they're trying to give more people voice rather than just have that one piece of soundbite. So each type of map and each project is slightly, slightly nuanced and different. But what it really comes down to is those two questions I mentioned. What do you see? What do you hear? And how can you help somebody is the third real question, right? And so I, I feel like they should never really supplant emergency managers if I was talking about crisis response. But if I was to focus on environmental mapping, and there's a really great map from Canada called Great Lake Commons, and Paul Baines, who's been working on this project, is really focused on water stewardship and connecting people to safeguarding water and, and understanding that what pollution is and understanding what, how our ecosystem and how we tie to it. So his project is really focused on something that the media maybe spends some time on but doesn't spend on a long-term offline engagement program. He's talking about the community walking trips around rivers that are dead rivers, right? He's talking about taking pictures of the waterfront and making sure that we feel ownership and bonding with it, right? That's a whole other way that a map unites a community. So if you think about it, a map itself becomes a central community hub and that the offline, kind of offline to the online with information, and that's where the text message campaigns are so powerful. With the Kenyan elections this year, 2013 March, we had um, over 5,000 reports come in. The majority of those were from text message. Uh, we had a large SMS campaign um, that went up in Nakamut, which is like the uh, grocery stores, or I would call them mass convenience stores. They're much like a Costco, you know, Costco in North America. They have everything you could possibly imagine in Nakamut. And they had signs up with the short code. And so people would text message into the short code. But we also had partners in the field who were election monitors who would work and give them text messages. Because Kenya is one of the most Twitterful, and I say Twitterful lightly, and if you look at Oxford Internet Institute's uh, Mark Graham's work about analyzing Twitter in, in Kenya during the election, really brilliant data showing just how, how much volume was coming out of that country. Um, we actually didn't focus on Twitter for that map project because we were so busy focusing on people who were sending in text messages. So it really depends on where you're getting your information and who's your audience and, and, and all of that. But to tie it all together, you really, you really have these diverse sections of projects that have different mandates that can either work in concert or work in parallel or, or sometimes um, really, really dig into topics that the government or media is not doing, like harass map in Egypt. They really have a long-term, and they started out as a map project that eventually got funding. It's now its own NGO that are mentoring over 16 maps around the world. They also have a little Indiegogo um, project right now to raise money to help support it. I mean, you're talking about this little project that started out that's just grown, that's filling a gap that the media doesn't focus on, right? And they're supporting, and they have offline community 
captains in their neighborhoods. Like that's the map's just a vehicle for their change. Like <laughs> really, it's just a vehicle as part of their toolkit. And so it's just a, I hope that's a, that's a long-winded answer, but I wanted to give you like a foray into different kinds. Okay, great. Heather, you talked about how in the beginning it was a bit, it was difficult uh, to get customers to understand the power of uh, Ushahidi. I wanted to ask, now that customers, once customers are on board, uh, how do they get uh, people, the crowd, to understand the potential and to get involved? You mentioned how in like Kenya people were uh, putting up signs in pet- petrol stations, etc. But how did they really get the word out to the masses yeah. that this is something that they, they should use and that there is value in using it? And I was going to ask one additional question, which is you mentioned things like uh, anti-corruption and uh, election monitoring. How do you get the word out when in, in these situations when it could well be that some parts of the authorities or some members of authority don't want that kind of transparency? Yeah. So let's first start, start with outreach and getting the word out. Um, I feel like sometimes every day I say you just can't throw a map at it. <laughs> you just can't throw technology at it. You have to, and like, and, and this is going to ring well with your audience. Um, you have to have a plan, <laughs> like like any technology. I'm not just talking about map technology. I think that it's sexy, it's interesting, it's exciting to aggregate and show information from different different areas of knowledge and not be locked in a PDF. I will spend the rest of my career focusing on how do we use technology for good, and I'm excited. And how do we tie digital volunteers to it? But you can't just throw a map at something. You actually have to have a long plan. And so much like Project Management 101, um, who is your audience? Who are your, who are your supporters? Who, 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 um, what's your communication strategy? Which, which channels will you reach? Uh, what is your timeline for that? <laughs> These are basic project questions, right? And so every, and we created some Ushahidi toolkits with Harvard Humanitarian Initiative two years ago, and they, they've been remixed a bit on our, on our wiki, wiki.ushahidi.com. And basically, I've written out whole strategies of how, how to build your entire offline to online. So some of the things I've seen really well are working in tied with various groups of partners and civil society groups, people who already have on-the-ground networks. I've seen T-shirt campaigns. I've seen Twitter outreach campaigns. I've seen... Um, People work really, really hard on um, building building easy access to it. So whether you call it short codes or whatever, they really work towards having local people with local knowledge being directly involved. So getting the word out is actually really, really hard. I've seen a lot of naked maps and um, out there that, you know, they put a map up and think they have a great plan. But, you know, if you don't, actually have a plan to try and do that outreach, you won't get reports. And so it really means going to community meetings. It really means hold, holding community meetings. It means talking to the media. It means talking to local bloggers. And those are the, that's really powerful. If you talk to local bloggers, and I'm from Toronto, Canada, so I'm going to give you some Toronto examples because I spend a lot of time with these guys. There's a guy called Tra- who, who um, Gavin Cameron, he runs a project called Trashwag.org. And what he's trying to do is get people to discuss Anybody who's discarding items that might be of architectural value, donate them to artists, and they can reclaim that and remake it. And so he, he works really hard in the blogging community to get his word out, and he's got a really great idea. And so by having a unique idea, idea and really having a market strategy, that's helpful. But also what, what really comes down to it is, is it something that people value and need, right? 
like if you haven't done a needs assessment, <laughs> what are you going to do, right? Like, like, oh, that's nice. I already, I'm using something else. It doesn't, it doesn't fit a need. Um, some of these people also, once they, if, for example, the crisis map, for example, in the last week, I've gotten contacts from people in Turkey and in uh, Sao Paulo, okay, just as a crisis map. There's networks of people out there that will support those types of projects, who will ask questions, who will get deeply involved in it because they're crisis mappers. And so you're talking about a connection, connecting to a larger ecosystem of people who want to use maps for good and maps for emergencies, whether they be natural disasters or conflict maps. There are people out there that have the skills who want to contribute, and they, 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 they match make. So they just reach out to us and say, hey, can you help connect us to people in this country? And so I do a lot of matchmaking in my work. So getting out means being able to connect to local communities, connecting to civil society groups, connecting to um, local blogging communities, and also having a good strategic plan. Regarding authorities, this is, this is where the stuff comes to play. Regarding Turkey, um, I posted to the Ushidi blog this week about Kiki Safe. Um, I, I'm constantly concerned about people throwing a map at it without taking care of the security and privacy of the people they're trying to serve and help, right? And so, how do you how do you how do you add things and make sure that the safeguard? Which is why, when you mentioned corruption maps, um, I'm very excited to say that Transparency International, um, which has many years experience about how to protect anti-corruption folks to be able to whistleblow, has programs, has networks, has strategies for security and privacy, has training programs. They, they are deeply involved and interested in supporting people. So when I get contacted, I contact them. <laughs> so so it's, really, it's really about having those leaders out there that have the field knowledge I, I come from deep tech. Like, I worked in internet for the last 15 years. Like, I worked in DNS and network engineering and in network operations center. My background is not anti-corruption mapping or activism. But there are people out there that have that, right? So it's knowing who to ask and getting that support network. So much like I mentioned with the crisis mappers, anti-corruption folks, they should contact people like Transparency International. There are also other groups out there that are doing anti-corruption work who've gone to training. I literally send out um, tactical text, security in a box, I think twice or three times a week to people saying, listen, before you start, think about what you're doing with your data online. This week I hosted a data ethics and research conversation with our friends from Engine Room and iHub Research talking about what, sh what you should and shouldn't do with data. And we did talk about corruption a little bit. So I try and give as many resources as I can to people. But the first thing that I always say is that, you know, um, it's exciting that you want to try and do this. Um, do you have people to do it with you? Because it can be very, very dangerous and hard. Um, and just teaching each other, that's the kind of beautiful thing about community is that um, most of us do this because we're really passionate to be able to teach and share, right? And so if somebody reaches out to the community, they can get that kind of support and knowledge. But I always recommend that they try and partner with an, a, a, an organization when they're doing risky kinds of mapping. And sometimes I just say, please don't do this map. And that's just, that's just me. <laughs> like, I feel like it's my responsibility to say, you know, here's the resources, but I'm not sure you're fully ready yet. And, you know, but, but it's good to give them resources, right? Because I want to encourage people to be involved in their world. That is a dream to watch people do that. However, dreams, dreams have risks. Uh, Ushahidi is set up as a not-for-profit. Why was it set up this way? And how much of the fact that it's a not-for-profit explain, go into explaining the success? 
I think that um, a not-for-profit seems like the best position when you're talking about tech for social good. That doesn't mean that social entrepreneurship shouldn't exist. I believe, like having been at Personal Democracy Forum last week and listened to people talk about how they how they work to transition to, to social entrepreneurship, and we are funded by Omidyar, which is actually one of those um, organizations that's really interested in making sure that people come into a sustainable plan for social entrepreneurship. I think that um, having a transition to that is one of our big goals, and I can talk about that in a minute. So why were we set up as a not-for-profit? We're an um, open-source, free and open-source mapping project that encourages people to uh, share and collaborate online. Um, that's a pretty hard business model um, five years ago. Five years ago. No, think, think, put your 2007, 2008 hat on, right? Not, not, not the ecosystem we're in now, but that's where we started, right? And it seemed like the best fit for the kind of work that we want to do. And we want to, and, and here's the other thing, in, in Ushahidi ourselves, like I want to support those unusual suspects, right? And so where are these unusual suspects going to go but a nonprofit, right? If, if I start charging somebody who's just tinkering with mapping harassment in India and spends a year teaching himself and building out his project and then eventually becomes his own NGO, which did happen, by the way, and he has, he has actually, like, he now does pay for maps. Um, where are these people going to get incubation? Where are they going to get support? So I think that Ushahidi as a nonprofit is very important. So what, does it explain our success? I think so. But it also, the thing that explains our success as well is we fill the need. In addition, we're very good at getting the word out. Um, we, are, we are very good at explaining ourselves and getting the word out. And we've had some very strong leadership within, within our team. Um, to help with that, but filling the need is is key, right? And so until we stop filling the need, you know, I think that that's important to think about as a nonprofit. Um, we do the way we're set up and the way we're funded, just to kind of help with that question, um, is that we are funded by Omidyar, Ford, MacArthur, um, Hebos has funded us previously. Uh, Google funded us when we initially started, as did uh, NetSquared. Um, we're very, very fortunate for these people to help us, to be able to help all these unusual suspects and people be able to, you know, be involved in their world. Um, we also do paid for deployments. So if you go to ushidi.com, there's a whole services tab. And so when I said World Bank, when I said Association for, for um, Progressive Communicators, um, Huffington Post, we've done paid for deployments. So we are doing and trying to diversify our, our portfolio as well. Um, and if you're interested in doing that, please do contact us at consultingmedishahidi.com. Sorry for the pitch, but since it's an MBA talk, I figure I should be allowed to do that. <laughs> but but I um, there are many people out This is a skill, right? So when I talk about outreach, when I talk about the complexities of topics, it really is a skill to be a mapper um, and to, to build out these map projects. And so I started out as a volunteer. Um, you know, I started out as a volunteer with Ushahidi because I just believed in what, what, what should, that this exists. And I started out after Haiti. Um, then I did. I started volunteering on the Chilean map, and then um, after the earthquake and Pakistan floods in 2010, and I just kept writing and doing it. And eventually, they just hired me because they're like, "We need somebody to do what you do." <laughs> so I mean, it's a new field, and there are many people out there like me who have these skills. And so it's awkward because um, the NGO and the business world don't realize that they need data scientists and mappers inside their departments. They're starting to grow up and they're starting to see that. But but I think that the whole new job sector is growing in the skills of, of how do you interact with 
technology online to build community? And how could that be used for branding? I mean, that's a whole other topic, which I could do another time. But I think that, I think that maps and branding, no one's really kind of tackled that one in terms of location. They're still on, hey, use Twitter. And I'm like, oh, gosh, guys, if you guys understood the power of SMS. <laughs> Like, I, I just, I, I just, like, every once in a while, I'm like, oh, no, really? Twitter? <laughs> That's it? <laughs> That's your campaign? <laughs> Heather, I, I noticed that uh, uh, Ushahidi is going to hardware with Brick, uh, mm-hmm. a backup generator for the internet. Why, why is it moving in this direction? Well, Ushahidi is really interested in solving real problems. And we started out, like, our Ushahidi's first instance, we started out by... There's nothing out there to connect um, connect our, our our original founders to connect to their community and their neighborhoods and their 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 people, right? They were trying to reach their 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 neighbors and their friends online to find out what was going on in Kenya because they didn't feel like the news was there. So they created created a functional product uh, using technology to fulfill a need. So the bricks origins come from us struggling so hard because we're a global community and we're a global team. We are in, um, I think it's seven countries where there's only 20 people who are staff at Ushihidi and the rest is this massive community of lovely people who volunteer their time. I mean, they're, they're amazing. But here we are trying to connect with each other and the internet goes down and uh, power goes out. And so how do we, and so this is a real problem that Ushihidians have encountered. And so um, they decided that that's it. Let's see if we can try and create something to solve it. So they remade the modem. They said, okay, let's, let's find a way to have a switch inside, inside of this modem, be able to flip between a SIM card and an Ethernet cable and allow people to not lose their connectivity when they're trying to flip their code onto GitHub or they're trying to um, talk with their colleague about an important like, um, strategy. And so it really comes from, uh, and as uh, some, a blogger recently wrote, uh, you know, function before technology. Like, we really just wanted to fulfill a need. And as we started fleshing it out, we realized that we're not the only, well, we kind of knew we're not the only ones who suffer this. Because the more that we tell people about this project, the more that, and we had a successful Kickstarter, which was really such an honor that people would support our journey that way. Um we're just trying to solve a problem that we have. And if we could just communicate with each other as a global audience, and if it's going to help one person or more people do that, that's a pretty powerful thing. And so that's, that's, that's really Ushihidian behavior. <laughs> so that's why we're moving into hardware, because we just we want to solve this problem. And, and we also had the, the great confluence of people who, like Philip and Reg and, and John, these folks have the skills. <laughs> so we were lucky and, and smart to have these people who are really great at this, who joined us to try and build this. So sometimes you just see an opportunity and you make it. And so that's why we're going into hardware here. And I think you have to, you have to anticipate it, right? You have to think, what's the need? Fill it. Yeah. So based on following up on that, um, you talked a lot about maps and then you talked about um, the need for uh, continued access to the internet. Mm-hmm. So that you can people can update and, and access these maps. Mm-hmm. So, what is the that next opportunity or next need that you that Shahidi <laughs> is looking at? Well, or, now, or that affects I, your community. Yeah. Well, uh, if I was to share that, then I would be divulging strategic plans. <laughs> yeah, but we are. So, so, so let's think about this here for a second. So, Shahidi does information collection, data visualization, interactive mapping. Okay. So, we're interested in maps, data, and ways to connect. Right? So anything that ties into that that fits our mission, 
we will work to try and build it. So we, we are looking at um, duplication. We are looking at sustainability. We're looking at, like, for example, there are many, many corruption maps out there. And so I did an analysis of the corruption maps. There, there was something like 6,000 reports of anti-corruption from maps around the world. I think there's 28 or 30 maps. And so what if all of that existed on one place? Right? So what if these people were connected? So rolling it up to a larger kind of connectivity, I think that to me as a community person is really key. Like I do a lot of manual matchmaking. How do we get that matchmaking not manual? How do we make those unusual suspects find each other? Heather, just one last question. Um, sure. Many MBAs are interested in careers that bring together business principles, innovation, entrepreneurship, and social good. What would your advice be to them? Um, get on a plane and go, go, no, get on a plane and go to the continent of Africa or the continent of Asia and drop all your assumptions of what you think technology is and talk to those people out there that are doing this work already. I'm part of something called Random Hexaclimates, which is a global community of people who create tech for social good. And this has afforded me an opportunity to meet, again, much like Ushihidi, meet all these unusual suspects who are creating great ideas, who, who just need someone to help them build out a business plan and, 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 and build that social entrepreneurship. And they are just, they're rising up. So I would, I, would, I would watch and listen in the unusual places. Don't spend all your time on TechCrunch. Move beyond that. Like go into, like go through rock, go through what's happening in Bangalore. Like, I mean, Bangalore is common for everybody. Everyone's like, go to Bangalore. I mean, I agree, go to Bangalore. <laughs> but don't just go to Bangalore, go to Taiwan. Geo thinks in Taiwan, and this is a rising community star and organization within Ushihidi. And these guys at Geo things, they are creating mobile mobile activity that is so, I can't wait until they like become and grow more. They, they committed code to Ushihidi and I've watched them grow. And I'm really excited to watch where those unusual suspects come from. So um, the first thing is um, don't go to the common developing countries. Like, by all means, like, and I'm from, Ushihi's from Kenya, so I, I, of course, have a soft spot for Kenya. But go to other countries. Go to Liberia. Go to, go to Rwanda. There's, a, there's hub networks. If you go to afrahub.crowdout.com, you can see hub networks throughout the continent of Africa. You can see that there's all these hub networks within there that are trying to unite and, and connect uh, people who are doing this tech, tech work, right? And so how do you work with them? But also think about some of the other organizations out there that are already working in those fields. So think about ThoughtWorks. Think about like, who else is out there working in the field that might be a good place to kind of investigate. Um, so that's kind of a long answer, but really get a plane ticket and go find those unusual suspects. There's my summary. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Heather. Um, it's been great, and and I, I have to tell you that um, this thing about not reading TechCrunch is the second it's the second time someone on our podcast series has said that specifically to people who want to make it big in places like Africa, where, as you said, the co- context and the conditions are just so completely different. But the opportunities yeah. are huge as well. So, Conrad, I um, just to, just to close off, and yeah, I'm so I love don't get me wrong, I read TechCrunch, I do. Mm. Right after I read Reddit, like, like, I mean, but so I've worked in internet since 1998 and, um, you know, when Canada's first ISP, um, which was Netcom. And I always thought that if I really wanted to work and work on a job that was internet 
um, focus that eventually I'd have to move to Silicon Valley. And I'm not saying there aren't great, there isn't great work there, but my volunteer work took me to the continent of Africa and to Kenya. And that journey has been a beautiful journey. And that journey to learn and just get my mind blown by the great things that are happening in technology, not just in Kenya, but around the continent of Africa and the continent of Asia, has, has really opened up my mind to the potential, um, for, especially for people who are younger in their careers. Like, I'm, I'm a little bit more established. But as you're starting out, I think that's really key to, like, really, really kind of open up that open up that opportunity to, like, really listen word-wise. Word now, The Guardian has an amazing blog. Uh, I really enjoy reading it because I think they, they, they sometimes get those unusual suspects. It's called global development. And mm -hmm. I, like if you're talking about UK, what UK resource I would use, I would use that. But Conrad, I just wanted to say thanks again for having me. And I'm happy to answer any questions if anybody has it or you, or you yourself or your class have it. I believe that, um, that the power of community comes from just sharing with each other and just building together. And I can't wait to see what people build in those places and find those unusual suspects and help them rise up. Okay, great, Heather. Thank you very much. And I hope that there are at least a couple of unusual suspects who are listening to this podcast and hopefully they'll connect with you as well.